Hello and uh, welcome to Banana Republic. This is episode four. Um, I'm here to discuss the uh, the local elections and particularly the Birmingham election last week. And I'm here with uh, somebody who uh, who knows the local elections inside out. He's a former councillor. He um, he stepped down at this election. It's uh, Ian Cruz. He was a Labour member and um, he became independent a few years ago. Um, anyway, hello Ian. Hello Neil, how are you? All right, all right. Good, good. Um, recovered from um, the weekend anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and, <laughs> <laughs> um, and of course, for those who don't know, um, in Birmingham there were 101 seats, Labour took 69, um, and it was an up and down day as the results came in. Um, but pretty much at the end of the day, the, uh, the, the balance of the council is pretty much where it was uh, the day before. Um, Labour have about 70% of the seats, the Conservatives getting on for a quarter to a third, um, the Lib Dems have their eight seats um, and, and one uh, new uh, feature for the council was a Green uh, Party councillor being elected, this time in Druid's Heath. So um, as I say for us um, analysts there perhaps wasn't a lot of change on that side of things, on the control of the council, but there's uh, certainly a lot of change and churn underneath. Uh, what's your views on the day? As, as somebody who d decided about uh, three weeks ago not to pay any attention to uh, the, the elections, I actually did start studying the maps of all, the all of the wards and the demographics, and my original prediction was that Labour would hit around between 60 and 65, um, Conservatives around 25 to 30, Liberals 10 or 11 seats, um, but watch out for the independents in Sutton. Um, so no surprises as in the, the structure of the council um, and the, the makeup of the seats. However, some of those results on uh, on well, Friday when the council come, the, the results of the council coming in, I was just stunned, and uh, the, the Green Party you mentioned, stunned mm. by that because I actually badged that one as a Tory victory. Um, but when I heard it was a Green candidate, it was you know, very, very surprising. Frankly, in Great Park, I was actually shocked to see Andy Cartwright go because he has a, a good fan base in the area and yeah. he does work hard. Um, so it'd be interesting to see the fallout of, of how Andy managed to, uh, you could say, take um, uh, defeat from the jaws of victory. Um, and Rubri and Rednell as well. No surprise that the Conservatives have taken that because I called that one. However, again, the fallout from that is how did Labour lose a seat? They should have won. That's all in and around the area, Longbridge, that yeah. you previously yeah, yeah. represented, yeah. So, so you know that area very well. And there was a bit of churn there, wasn't there? Some some seats went to Labour. <coughs> the Conservatives lost Randall Brew in the in the patch. He, he was their deputy leader till last week. Yeah, yeah and again, it, knowing the candidate who stood in mm. Northfield against Randall, he's a very personable um, gentleman, and he does a lot of work in the community through North, Northfield Arts Forum anyway. But if you look at the way he campaigned, so maybe how others campaigned in my local area, um, he was very, very uh, proactive and he was on the doorsteps having lots of conversations with people, not just going out and knocking doors on a weekend for a couple of hours. Ollie Armstrong. Um, and he was very structured about his leaflets and what went into his leaflets in the different area as well. So it, 
you tailor the message for the different areas that you you are going to represent so the more affluent areas you're not going to sort of talk about council cuts as much i don't think you might talk about things that are around the bin strike or something like that that might be more prominent for them mm. whereas areas that have got sort of high levels of deprivation and poverty they need to know about where their next pound is coming from where their next meal is coming from so he was very very good at tailoring his arguments uh, but also on election day and I actually went out and did some stuff for him on election day uh, the, the, the message on the doorstep was we're going to vote for Ollie because of the person himself yeah yeah. so you, you're, you're a great believer that I, I mean the great sweep of things we see is that local elections tend to follow national tides yeah. you know um, there, there's you know landslides in parliament lead to landslides in, in council in town halls yeah. and then as the opposition grows during a parliamentary term, mm. you tend to see that again reflected um, locally. But I've always thought that there are one or two councillors that, that really make a difference. Um, in recent years, we've talked about the councillors in um, the neighbouring wards of Sutton Vesey and King Standing, yeah. who, who uh, you know, I've mentioned many times. Uh, Rob Pocock was the Labour guy, the first Labour councillor in Sutton. Lost 10 elections or so yeah. running. Um, before getting in there, um, just showed that perseverance and, and a bit of recognition factor could re- could work. And the same for Conservative Gary Sandbrook in King Standing. Again, about five or six elections over many years, mm. um, coming close a few times, you know, putting a lot of work in and getting no result for a few years, and then suddenly, you know, he's hit on the winning formula, and now he seems unmovable um both yeah. pocock and sandbrook yeah. won seats again under new wards new boundaries yeah. new setups so um shows shows that perseverance paid off it certainly does um and you know with, with the likes of gary and rob like you say it took a few years for them to do it. with mm. ollie armstrong it took it's his first election mm. but again it, it's i'm a firm believer that in local governments and this is from being away from the politics of it for three mm. years that actually if you're there as a local representative rather than a politician, the chances of you being more, uh, being victorious at an election are greater, I think, because Gary's obviously worked on the ground as a local activist. Ollie's worked as a local activist. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I've got to be honest with you, when I was doing some stuff for Ollie, the brand of Labour uh, wasn't mentioned a whole lot. It was... You know, he's our Labour candidate for the elections today, and everybody was saying we've spoken to him. And it's probably the same for Gary as well. He probably doesn't mention his Conservative ticket that much hmm. because he's a local resident and he's doing it for the benefit of his local people. He lives in the area as well. Hmm. Yeah, and I think, um, again, where we had the Green candidate in Drew Teeth, it was an area that was probably ripe because, um, I mean, I, I certainly last visited Drew Teeth after Grenfell because it's hmm. the, one of the big tower block estates in yeah. Birmingham and when we spoke to the, um, you know, a number of residents there there was a feeling that they had been left behind, they had been neglected um, there's been various plans talked about mm. to either tear down, refurbish yeah. invest in the estate rebuild it um, but again they've been talking about that for 20 years and, and they're still living in flats which regularly flood yeah. which have problems with heaters on the blink um, kids putting mattresses in lifts that set on fire and send them to the top floor, all that sort of thing going on. Um, I don't want to make it complete hellhole because we found some lovely residents who had great flats yeah. and really enjoyed living there. They enjoyed a nice view of the city and they really cared for the place and just wanted their neighbours as well to care for it. But there was definitely that left behind mm. feeling. 
Um, and then again, the green candidate, Julian Pritchard, it's a guy I've known for a few years because he was a press officer for Friends of the Earth in Birmingham. And he used to send me press releases yep. and organise. If you saw people protesting in Victoria Square, he was, you know, for any green uh, campaign, he was probably um, at the front of it. He stood for election there in the general election last year in that area. Um, he stood in previous local elections. So again, he's put the work in. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and he certainly has, and, and fair play to him for doing that. But you talk a lot about the apathy in the area of somewhere mm-hmm. like Drew's Heath. Again, it's people forgetting about those areas. Close to me, we have an area called the Cock Hill Estate. And when I was um, a councillor, one of the things I did was realise that these areas were being neglected, these flats weren't fit for purpose. So maybe he's come up with uh, an idea to say, well, I'm going to make sure that either these flats do get demolished or I'm going to work to try and get council officers to uh, refurb them, such as they did when I approached officers back in 2012 about the flats local to me, which were an absolute in, in dire straits. They should have been pulled down. So it's, it's about working that area and understanding the needs of that specific little cluster of an area because each ward even now has got four or five different cluster wards in you know mm-hmm. demographic um, differences so like I said earlier you may see that that wouldn't really matter to some people who lived on the Monty Hall side of things on that new estate there but on the truth mm-hmm. it would do because it's, it's paramount to them and if they don't think that either the Labour or Conservative Party is going to do anything for them then they're going to look for the alternative option I think that's what's happened there yeah and then something else that came through is, is in elections we used to see an incumbents who have a an inbuilt advantage. They're the guys that have been guys and girls that have been sort of canvassing that area. They've been the, the person you've gone to in the surgery to complain to to get things yep. sorted. They've written letters on your behalf, or they've been in the community for so long. So the incumbency is a big big factor in elections. Um, and certainly last year we we didn't. I think every MP that was defending a seat in Birmingham last year won their seat. Um, And this time, of course, the incumbency was, you know, to a greater or lesser extent, extent eradicated Mm. because it was a complete set of new ward boundaries, new uh, smaller areas. Um, Sometimes the neighbourhoods had shifted completely. Other times people were perhaps mirroring mirroring old boundaries. and the incumbency seemed to be a big, you know, uh, well, that advantage was gone. Um, and we saw established councillors go. Um, very sadly for Linda Clinton in Castle Vale, she was going to be Lord Mayor um, and was understandably gutted to lose her seat there. Um, Randall Brew, we've already mentioned, yeah. Deputy Leader of the Conservatives. Um, so a few names were, 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 were falling. Um, and during the morning I saw two members of the current cabinet um, at various stages at the ICC thinking that they were I think Brett O'Reilly said I thought I was toast yeah um, one of the Labour cabinet members in I forget which one it was he's Longbridge and West Heath uh, Brett, yeah uh, Longbridge and yeah. West Heath um, he scraped home by about 13 votes and the other was Tristan Chatfield who was moving to a new area in Wheelie yeah but again somehow got through after when when the ballots were first looked at when they were first doing their numbers they, they thought they were gone um so i don't think any of them perhaps i don't know it just seems that a lot of people didn't realize quite how hard it was maybe those knocking on the doors and those on the ground did but 
I think a lot of us thought it was going to be tough. Uh, didn't think it was going to be that tough for them. I mean, if you look at some of the, uh, you use Longbridge and West Heath uh, as a prime example, where we had two incumbents in that area, and it literally was predominantly um, a lot of the West Heath side of Northfield, which you would say that would be Brett Stronghold, and some of the more affluent areas around the, the top of West Heath, Longbridge, uh, Longbridge as well, which probably you would say that was Conservative Stronghold. I think, and it, I, I wouldn't put it down to complacency on Brett's part, um, but I think it's about getting the vote out, and when the Conservatives get their vote out, and I know this for a fact, if they get their vote out, I mean, Longbridge in 2014, it was European election as well, so UKIP were a massive factor in that, but the Tories still got their 1,500, 1,600 people out. Um, UKIP took all of our votes, and, and I ended up winning by 72. So there's, I think there's a sim- similar sort of paradigm there where you have to make sure that you, you concentrate on getting people out to vote, and not just usual core voters because there would have been a lot of people in those areas who would have been like you know we know Brett's our councillor we know Debbie's our councillor what about the other mm. two um, so <coughs> so in that case incumbency might have helped it might have helped Sir Brett on that occasion like you say with Tristan though obviously being a new ward and he was coming from the other side of the city as well I'm not sure where Tristan actually lives mm. um, it was going to be more difficult for him. So I understand why he thought he was going to, you know, at one stage during the day, he was going to, to lose. Um, Julie Johnson, obviously, for a proportion of that area, has represented it before. So incumbency mm. probably pushed her over the line as well. Because, again, I thought that ward, to be honest with you, was going to be a 1-1 split, and that's how I mm. marked it down when looking through the stuff right. uh, prior to the election. So, uh, one, I wasn't far wrong, but I think because Tristan had come from elsewhere as well, and it's, again... Being a councillor is great because people do know you. And people say, oh, we don't see you for four years. But there's a majority of people who do know you. They, they know who you are. So that would have helped you. Tristan, it's like, who are you? We haven't seen you before. We know you're a cabinet member. Mm-hmm. But what do you know about the local area? And yeah. sometimes that can work against you. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. We're talking about, well, we're moving on to split wards. Mm. I think there were three where we had two council seats and they were split. Um, uh uh, Brett O'Reilly and Debbie Clancy shared that Longbridge and West Heath ward, um, and they were both established councillors. Um, the other one that I, uh, I sort of um, was quite pleased with because they're both really nice people is um, Roger Harmer and John O'Shea in yeah. Haycock Square. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's nothing against the councillors, the, the candidates who lost. Uh, Fiona Williams has been a brilliant vocal advocate yeah. for trees in the city. She's she's great, and I'm sure she she won't be out the uh, away from the spotlight for no. long. No, she in won't. fact, I'd like to get her in on one of the podcasts and talk architecture with uh, a couple of other former members of the planning committee because I think that'd be brilliant. I think that'd be fantastic. Uh, with her and Barry Henley. Did you know I nicknamed them Jack and Vera? Yeah, 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 I did, yeah. <laughs> so, quite, uh, to be fair, it did tickle me when you named them Jack and Vera. Um, <laughs> because they, they have such contrasting views yeah. um, and sat next to each other at the time. <laughs> um, but... Going forward, I think, yeah, John O'Shea and Roger Harmer, in, in again, they, they've been candidates, uh, so a councillors in Acox Green for a long time, the pair of them, and, uh, and actually they they are genuinely nice guys, so it's good to see them um, see them being rewarded by an electorate that obviously recognises that. Yeah, yeah, and again, sort of writing the stuff down a couple of days before the election, that, that was one of the uh, wards that I thought was going to be split, and you've got that 
longevity with the pair of them. Yeah. And I think it's a safe pair of hands for both of them. So that was no surprise to me that that, that was going to be a split ward. I'd say the one, one of the ones that um, Harbourne, mm. again, just shows you where you have an incumbent, which was Jane, mm. who's, let's say, comfortably gone over the line. Mm. But with enough votes, you know, to, to yeah. have a, a decent majority in Harbourne. However, the other candidate has, be, has been, and I use the term, parachuted in. I believe he was from London initially. Leicester. I was think. it Leicester? Yeah. Okay. He'd been a councillor in Leicester, but he, I think he's, he's relocated here. Yeah. Not for the election, but just, I, I, but that's how I understand it. Okay. Yeah. But that, that, that kind of, again, you, you're new to the area. What do you mm. know about Harbourne? We know Joan. We know some of the stuff she's doing in the area. Mm. Um, and I think... A lot of people might have fell down with the fact they thought they might be able to piggyback on somebody who was an incumbent if you're a new candidate there, mm. when it actually hasn't been the case in a lot of the wards. No, he was a, it was a good 500 votes behind the mm. Conservative. Um, but again, the Conservatives didn't have... I mean, they used to hold all three seats a few years ago, and yeah. um, John Alden effectively retired, Yeah. Um, although he stayed on the ballot as a paper candidate yeah. elsewhere. Yeah. Um, and obviously Lord Whitby was, was a councillor for that area um, and, and stepped down a few years ago now. So, and, and James Mackay was the other one who left. And so so they've had, um, you know, everyone was new on that ballot except for Jane. Yeah. Um, the, the second Labour candidate, which was Sundip Magani, had had two re... Um, his, his selection in the Labour Party had been fraught with difficulty. That's right. And a lot of, um, shall we say, a lot of uh, discussion heated, angry um, from various factions of the local Labour Party there, so I don't know whether that played a part, or whether it was just as you say, the recognition factor It, it could be, I mean again, if, if you've got uh, the thing with Harborne is that the demographic of voter has changed over the last five, six years, oh. as I see it because a lot of people who live in Harborne now um, move there because they either work or were involved with the QE hospital, mm. and as we know lots of NHS staff are more likely to tend to slope towards the Labour Party, so that's how I see where that shift has come. With with Sundip, I think there was some antagonism within the local party, uh, the fact he got selected, um, and again, was that detrimental to the fact that he was so many votes behind Jane? Probably, yeah, because there might be people within the local Labour Party themselves who were like, well, I don't want, I didn't want this guy, I don't want to vote for him, um, and sometimes that happens. It does happen. Um, so that may have been something that was a, a, a mitigating factor for the fact that he actually didn't get elected because, because, like you say, James and Jane had done a, a good job and obviously John had got the seat back um, the year after when Mike Whitby stood down. You, you would think that actually he may be able to piggyback in on mm. somebody like Jane Francis who's done some good work there, but it wasn't the case. So again, when they do the kind of fallout from the elections, it's a case of, well, we've selected this candidate candidate was he the right candidate to pick for the area um was his background and all the, all the stuff that's gone on with the selection uh detrimental to his chances of winning and my answer to that would be yeah i think he was hmm. so there were some yeah those tensions did play out a bit yeah. yeah yeah um perhaps if we then move on from this election there's there's a lot of people that obviously we've mentioned who, who have lost their seats this time um and rather surprisingly in some cases where now? Because it used to be the case that you could come back a year later. There, there were 40 seats were elected every yep. year in rotation. So you lost this election. Never mind, there's always next year. Yeah. Now we've got four years. 
So, um, I mean, you yourself, you, you've obviously lost that role now or given up that role, I should say. Yeah. And, you know, what, what, what happens for four years, you know? I think if you, if you really want to come back and have another go, and my advice to anybody who's lost, um, who probably shouldn't have, is to just assess what you, what you think went wrong and, and then just keep going, keep campaigning for those four years. The unfortunate thing is there's a lot of people, uh, like me now, have got to go out and get a job, mm. uh, who may have not had a job to fall back on anyway. Mm. So, but I wouldn't say don't stop. You know, it'd be a case of you, you need to build a four-year plan, and mm. I actually think that's more beneficial than doing these. Mm. Uh, do, you know, because it was basically, as daft as it sounds, relentless campaigning. So you'd finish there, you'd put your thank you leaflet out, and you'd make sure you get your four leaflets a year. You can structure your campaign for those four years mm. a lot better now, and concentrate on building up your voter data and going out and knocking on doors rather than relentlessly putting leaflets through doors. Because one of the things I've found is. Over my eight years, people would rather have a conversation with you hmm. than see something drop on the doormat of somebody they never see. Hmm. So that that's probably a bit of advice I'd give to them to just keep going. Don't hmm. if you want to come back and have another go, and actually if you want to get selected as the candidate for the area you've just lost, get out there and start working there because you've got hmm. more chance of being selected then as well. Yeah, and there's always the chance of a by-election here and there. Well, there is. Yeah, you know, I mean, uh, somebody made a. a and it was quite a flippant comment, and I won't mention the name of the, the councillor. They mm. said that um, we'll probably retire in a couple of years who, who, who won a seat. Um, but there may be one or two who decide to retire. There may be one or two who decide to, for professional reasons, go elsewhere as well. So there's, there's always an opportunity. I mean, um, last year there were no council elections, but there were two by-elections on yeah, the same day. Yeah. So th- there's always, there, there will be an opportunity for some, but mm. I think... For those who, who've lost, who didn't expect to, just just get out there and start doing the the work that maybe you should have done um, over the the previous three or four years that you were in office. Yeah. And now moving forward, um, I mean, this, this is uh, as we record this, pretty much breaking news. But there's been no um, no challenges to the Labour leadership this year, which no. I think is is quite rare actually. Um, <laughs> I'm, even, I'm surprised Clancy didn't have another go. Yeah. <laughs> Well, John Clancy used to stand every year until yeah, yeah. run, and so yeah, it's it's very strange to see that straight after an election, um, no challenge, and um, there's um, obviously the Conservatives are looking for a deputy leader. Yeah. There's likely to be some sort of cabinet reshuffle. Again, oh. I don't think I'm breaking any confidences. I know that obviously there's one vacancy on the cabinet, and Councillor Carl Rice is stepping down from the cabinet. Yes. Um, so there's a couple of vacancies now um, and there's also a, a bit of a reshaping of the scrutiny committee functions um, which was devoted through just before the election yeah. I think there's going to be eight committees to chair and a couple of them will no doubt change Victoria Quinns who was the chairman has gone that's right uh, I've got to be honest with you that I was pleased mm-hmm. about the scrutiny committees being mm-hmm. increased again because I was an advocate when um, John Cotton brought a, a report to council um, about overview and scrutiny, one of the things I kept reiterating when I did my little intervention was that good, you need good scrutiny for the city to be governed properly. Mm. And at that time, when you've reduced it to five, you're not going to have the decent scrutiny. So I'm pleased that's gone up. Again, these are the committees that I, I always call them watchdog in the yeah, press yeah, because yeah, they, they yeah. 
keep an eye on the what the government, well, the, the executives yeah. up to. But they should do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, they've been run ragged, shall we say, last yeah. few years. Yeah, they have done. To, to be fair, um, but they're, they're there for a purpose, and I was always pleased that they uh, got increased to two A's. Um, but like you say, with the cabinet as well, it's no surprise there'll be a reshuffle. And again, I'm not going to mention names, um, but. You know, I'm quite forthright with my views. There were one or two people who didn't actually step up to the plate or mm. were in roles that were like, well, what have we got a cabinet member for that for? Mm. Um, so I think it's of no surprise that there's going to be a, a reshuffle. Um, I think but looking at the breakdown of the scrutiny committees, uh, it looks like there's going to be some sort of division yeah. between children's social care and children's education. Brilliant. Which is, um, they were merged a few years yeah. ago. I think that was a... Ed Ball thing. It was, yeah, 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 it was. Foolish. Yeah. And uh, there's somebody who's very, very passionate about uh, children and young people's mental health and special educational needs Mm. and disabilities. Having that separation is very, very useful. I just don't, I just hope that they don't separate too far apart, that some of the work Mm. they need to do uh, maybe as a joint committee or a few members of of each committee to to put in place a good special educational needs disabilities strategy for all schools isn't you know, doesn't get swept under the carpet. Mm. So uh, that, that's, that's pleasing that they're actually doing that, but they, they still need to do some joint work, and I think on that committee. Yeah, yeah. The um, the other thing, and, and again, thank you for not speculating about who might be putting their bum on the seat, um, because while I'm quite happy to speculate about government cabinet ministers and, and the <coughs> like, I uh, I sort of know these people. I feel quite bad that if you're talking about their jobs, because it's um. I don't know. Call me a sentimental. But, <laughs> but um, you know, I'm quite happy to talk about it. I've been in the brutal world of politics for eight years. No, that's what it is. It's, it's, yeah, <laughs> I know, I know. And we do, we do like to talk like that. But um, you know, there, there, there is speculation around certain jobs and certain people. And obviously, Ian Ward was only elected leader a few months ago, so yeah. he inherited a cabinet that he will want to change. Yeah, of course. The last time that happened, if we go back then, um, a couple of cabinet members were, 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 were dropped by John Clancy um, quite brutally um, yes. uh, straight after his election. Um, so we are expecting something along those lines, but when, where and when that acts will fall, we don't know. Um, well, we know when, because it'll be next Monday. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah, but... Um, They've also got some fairly big issues to get to grips with as well, um, the, the administration now. Ian Ward, the leader, um, said in his interviews that it was um, bins and potholes, I think. <laughs> yeah, I thought, and, and, and Kath from uh, BBC WM was uh, asking me if I knew anybody before the election that where bins would be a massive issue, and I said, well, obviously because I'm not doing any campaigning pre- pre-election day, then no. Um, but is right, he needs to concentrate on uh, getting the, the refuse service manageable. Um, as somebody who advocates a fortnightly collection anyway, mm. um, I'm probably the only person who sat in that chamber over the last municipal year who advocated a, a fortnightly collection um, for efficiency purposes. Um, I, I'm just sceptical about how anybody who took control of that council, whether it be Labour, whether it be Conservative, can actually deliver on the fact that they were going to keep a weekly collection for four years when they don't know um, the certainty of local government funding going forward. So um, it would be interesting to see how that gets delivered um, if there are further reductions in local government funding. Um, the potholes, I was disappointed in the election bill, to be honest with you, where opposition councillors to the current administration were trying to make potholes an issue when actually 
it shouldn't have been because there was a dispute going on between hmm. the, the council and the contractor. But those in the, current, the, the new opposition who'd been elected were put stuff on their leaflets that it was all the administration, current administration's mm. fault when actually it wasn't. It was a combination of both parties, to be fair, because one, the Conservative group signed the, the uh, PFI, and secondly, the Labour group didn't ever, what well, they should have done, like they did with the Service mm. Birmingham, go and renegotiate the contract. Mm. Um, so they're both at fault. And mm. it kind of disappointed me about that. But if we can get a handle on the pothole situation as well, because he needs to... And most recently, of course, the court said it was Amy, the contractor's fault. Yeah, yeah. But, of course, Amy may well appeal that. They I think won, they are. They, they won round one, and then they, yeah. they lost round two, and next is Supreme Court, or the next court up. Well, it's interesting, just before mm. the election, Amy sent out a circular to all councils about mm. the, the kind of next stages of what they were going to do. Mm. And then we all received an email from the chief executive saying, well, Amy shouldn't have done that. So they're obviously still at loggerhead somewhere. Yeah. Um, so it'd be, it'd be an interesting development to see how Ian handles that, but... I think with Ian, he's, he's very diplomatic, he's very pragmatic, but he won't get rolled over. Mm. Um, and I'm, I, that's why I'm pleased that nobody's challenging him for the leadership, because I actually think he, he did, he's done a good job in his first mm. short period in charge and should be given the reins for four years to see what he can do. Yeah, uh, four years? Or... I would give him four years, I really would. Yeah. Although, of course, even when they get... I, I think Lord Whitby had four years and then faced a change, yeah. so within a 12 months. Yeah. So I guess you know they're always open to challenge. It's like this, uh, you know, fixed-term parliament that suddenly oh, yeah, gets yeah. gets uh, rolled over with a. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. I think though that the the, mm. the issue obviously within the Labour group itself is whether or not they put it in their own group constitution mm. that it becomes a four-year term. Um, you know, and I'm not sure. I've heard a, 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 it might just be a Chinese whisper that they're going to actually look to do that mm. at the pre-council AGM Labour Group meeting right. to try and put the, the, so the leader will get a four-year run. So it, it, instead of having these ridiculous challenges every 12 months, mm. you actually get the continuity and certainty that you need to actually govern properly. Because if you don't have that, then so you can't. High, but you'd set a higher, higher bar for a vote of no confidence or something. Yeah, or yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, rather than just. I fancy standing, so I'll put my name in. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I think also um, from what I gather, and again, this is just a small Chinese whisper. Surprised how many people still talk to me. <laughs> there is, um, I, 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 there's like a, a plan um, I've heard that the scrutiny chairs you have to apply for each individual committee. Yeah, yeah, no, right. I, you, I don't know if you've heard that, but yeah. but rather than the same. You know, you just apply for a scrutiny chairmanship. You actually have to apply for each individual one. So you apply to be chairman of health, chairman yes. of social care, chairman of yeah. transport yeah. or economy. Yeah. Or, yeah. And and you and, and you get to present if you are throwing your hat in the ring for any of them to the Labour group before they vote. Mm-hmm. Which somebody who's I'm not bitter about it. I was at first when I lost my scrutiny chairmanship. It's something that I was advocating back then. That, that was something over anyway. which you quit the party. Wasn't it was what it? it was one of the things. Um, mm. I think. And I, I don't class myself as a career politician, I never have. I've always been just Ian on the ground, you know. But I felt I had a, a lot to bring to how the council was run. And that included being over and scrutiny chair, that included putting in for cabinet. So, um, you know, like I say, you, you throw your hat in the ring with things like this. But if that system had been in place back then, things might have been different. And you know, I might still be, I might still be in the Labour Party. <laughs> <laughs> I doubt it. You might have lost Northfield this week. I might, I might have, yeah, I probably would have done, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd have lost, lost Redden and Rubri because it was an incumbent, yeah. God, it would have been disappointing. Um, 
but yeah, that, that's that's a pleasing development mm. to be fair, because then you have people who are going to bring, I hope, some, um, say, knowledge to the role rather mm. than just being a chairman. Yeah. So let's fingers crossed they get some really good uh, pains in the backside scrutiny chairs as well, because again for. Then you see councils to run properly, you need good scrutiny. And if yeah. you haven't got that, then it's not so. Yeah, I've always been a great fan of those scrutiny committees where you know you're going to uh, see a cabinet member put under pressure or a oh, yeah. council officer. Yeah, um, remember the, uh, the old days of um, Stuart Stacey coming with his one page report to Magic Maboots Committee <laughs> and being sent away with his tail between his legs. And yeah. I, I made a flippant comment to Tahir Ali when he threw his report at us with about 15 minutes to spare yeah. and said that we nearly had another Stuart Stacey then for a minute. So it's kind of it's good to have that rigid scrutiny of, of how you deliver your services because that's what residents expect you to do mm. they don't expect it just to be a, a talking and nodding shop which you know in my humble opinion one or two of the scrutiny committees actually became yeah. over the last few years yeah well i hope they're more um again it, the whole cabinet system means that a lot a lot of stuff gets decided in pub, private yeah. which for us journalists is, isn't very good no um and the scrutiny committee was often the outlet for for uh, you know things being revealed or questions awkward yeah. questions being asked when when you know they hadn't been asked in cabinet or other forums yeah. um, and certainly I, I very much enjoyed the days when I had a where we had a coalition and every conservative cabinet member had a liberal democrat chairman of scrutiny um, chasing them and vice versa I remember them days well yeah <laughs> I mean, I, I've got to be honest with you, one of the things that I, I asked the question of um, uh, prior to the election, and it's strange me asking this because I was never going to be around after it was, well, if we are looking to be really uh, rigid with our scrutiny, shouldn't we look at the parliamentary way of working and have elections across the chamber for mm. scrutiny chairs um, and do it on a proportional basis? Yes, the Tories might still only get one. Mm. You know, the Libs wouldn't get one if you do it on a proportional basis. However, it would then be elected by the whole of the um, the council rather than yeah. the, the just the, the members of the group. And I know there's 67 of them, so they've got almost two thirds of the council. However, actually doing something like that makes it more transparent, more open, and you're guaranteed to get one or two people as scrutiny chairs who will really, really test the administration and, and make sure that they are doing their job properly. Mm. But obviously, that that was never going to happen. Mm. And it's disappointing because, like you say, I'm a firm believer in proportional representation in elected office, so why not do it yeah. when, you, when you're allocating your scrutiny chairs? Yeah, I mean, there's often talk of that, isn't there? I think it was um, when they introduced the system in the early 2000s. I think Labour leader at the time, Albert Ball, wanted to do that, but the story was the Labour group wanted the jobs for themselves and so yeah. uh, blocked it. Yeah. And it wasn't till we uh, had a wafer thin majority that he conceded some of the posts yeah, that's right. and then um, the coalition put that argument to bed for a few years yeah they, they, they did because mm. obviously when um, they, the coalition took over and my recollection of that was basically it was a case of well you didn't give us any when you were in full mm. control so you ain't getting any now which I'll you know Again, in 2012, I was one mm. of the ones, even though I was a chair in 2012-13, was advocating the fact that mm. we should be doing it on a proportional basis. I got shouted down. Mm. So, yeah, I, I hope that changes in the future, I really do. Yeah, there might be something on um, vice chairs or something, might be opposition yeah. yeah. councillors, which uh, 
Which is progress, I guess. I, I think it is, yeah. 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 Well, some of the... Um, Especially if they can poison the, the chairman. And <laughs> send, send him home with a, with a dicky tummy and, uh, and take over. Uh, I remember little jokes on Northfield District Committees. The Tories were saying that would. So we'll have to stick some at the chair's coffee and then we'll vote for you to be the chair. <laughs> when I was independent, I was like, yeah, go on, carry on. <laughs> okay. Well, um, I think that's, a, that's about all we've got time for. No, but brilliant. Thanks, thanks very much, Ian, and thanks for discussing uh, the, the elections with us. And um, hopefully you'll be back on the, uh, the the political scene front line at some point. Or the, the, yeah, I, I, the thing is, and I, I, when I decided to stand down, I was like, I'm going to get away from this for good. But it just shows you on the run up to the election. I actually spent half of election night away watching the results coming from across the country because that's what we do. Mm-hmm. So it's it'll never go out of the system. It's mm-hmm. just again whether or not um, how I come back, whether it be in a political party whether it come or come back as an independent I don't know I really mm. don't know you never know though <laughs> yeah yeah well good luck with that thank anyway. you very much alright and thanks for coming in pleasure that wraps it up for Banana Republic this week I'd like to thank Ian Cruz for coming along and sharing his thoughts on the uh, recent elections um, I'm sure there'll be more fallout in the next few days as we find out uh, just the uh, the shape of things to come um And over the next few weeks, what I'd like to do is perhaps look at some uh, specific issues uh, affecting the city. An obvious one is air pollution. Um, We've also got the the ongoing bins uh, issue and uh, and maybe the state, the roads and uh, some other big things that that are happening in Birmingham, perhaps homelessness. Um, We're expecting some uh, major announcements there as well. So um, and also if there's any topics that you would like to hear us discuss from the uh, from the local politics perspective, then we'll um, we'll see what we can do. Um, But thanks very much for listening and uh, goodbye.